going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Nice to see the sun shining on this Monday afternoon. A big difference from Saturday and Sunday. And I was enjoying the conversation Rob was having between 2.30 and 3 just about what was happening on Deerfoot. I want to revisit that at 3.30. I'm going to bring in my producer, Katie Baines, because I think she said she was one of the last vehicles before they closed the road. So I want to get her experience and definitely open up the phone lines because we're still getting lots of texts on that conversation. So we will resume that at 3.30. This half hour, though, we have been watching... With interest, disgust, dismay at what's been happening in the U.S. with the Larry Nasser case. And it was today that he received 40 to 125 years in prison. This ends the, the past three weeks of court hearings, uh, dramatically personalized the pain and suffering the former doctor caused for all those years. I want to step out of that conversation, though, and look, well, specifically at the U.S., but I think this can apply to employers here in Canada as well. Elizabeth C. Tippett, Associate Professor, School of Law at the University of Oregon, joins us today. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Angela. Thanks for having me. I guess one of the reasons that I watched the Larry Nasser case with, well, disgust for sure, but also interest was because I felt we were just playing this all out again. This isn't the first time we have heard, and sadly, I don't think it's going to be the last time we hear a person in a position of trust, authority, ends up go going on to abuse so many victims. And we only have to point to Penn State and what was happening with uh, Jerry Sandusky's child abuse case. Right. So uh, Gerald Sandusky was the assistant coach of the football team at Penn State University. And uh, he abused young children in connection with his nonprofit But what we found out later was there were so many red flags along the way and so many opportunities to stop him, and they were ignored. And so, again, what's distressing with Larry Nassar is, again, the red flags that were ignored here, too, on the part of many actors. I enjoyed your column that you had in the conversation talking about maybe how this happened, but also what employers can do. And I know you're speaking specifically to the U.S. laws, but I'd like to be able to broaden it and just have what's happening in Canada as well. But when we even look at the the Jerry Sanduskies or the Larry Nassers, any of these real high-profile cases, it, it often comes down to that the victims, it's almost as if, first of all, they can't believe it's happening. And then when they share it with someone, that person who they shared it with doesn't believe it happened. It's so tragic. And I think part of it is uh, companies, employers don't really prepare for the possibility that this might happen to them. And the possibility that they need to educate their employees, that if somebody discloses that something bad happened to them, that you need to act right away. And that might be even calling the police, or it might mean reporting it centrally within your employer or reporting it to your boss, but not ignoring it and realizing that if someone is willing to confide in you about what happened to them, that's really important and not to ignore it. 
I wonder if, and I'm glad you mentioned reported to the police, I'm wondering if that is why sometimes employers, I wouldn't say wipe their hands of it, but possibly look the other way, hoping that another agency, i.e. a police service, a police department, is going to handle it so they don't have to look too far into it. They can just say, all right, it's been dealt with. Yeah, I think employers don't have a lot of confidence in themselves and forget that they're the ones that decide who gets to be in their workplace. And they forget that sometimes the police don't act for a lot of reasons that might not relate to the truth of the allegations. And the same might also be true for child welfare agencies. And so it's up to the employer to make an independent judgment about whether it makes sense to keep this person in the workplace or let them go. And also, I think an employer has to recognize that ultimately it is up to the employer to keep their employees safe. We always talk about workplace safety, but it's usually making sure that they aren't injured on the job. But that overall workplace safety as in who they are having to deal with as colleagues even. Right. So we saw this a lot in the Me Too scandal of employers not doing enough when they found out about harassing conduct of people on their payroll, deciding to keep them on instead of deciding that your uh, violation of our policy is enough to let you go. And I know, Elizabeth, when we even talk about Me Too, uh, that we are thinking more about adults coming forward, uh, claims of sexual harassment, sexual abuse. And I know with Larry Nasser or even with the Sandusky, we're, we're talking about children. But ultimately, those children became adults and they still disclosed to people that this is what was happening within your organization. And in a lot of cases, nothing was happening. I want you to touch on something that you talked about in, in your article. And it was this whole idea, the psychology behind people in authority and more importantly, people wearing white coats. Tell me about that. I know that wasn't your study, but you referenced it. Yes, there was a famous psychological study by Stanley Milgram some time ago, and he actually had people in a lab, and they took somebody in a white coat who instructed the people in the experiment to deliver electric shocks to somebody else. Now, they were pretend electric shocks, but they didn't know. And the authority of the white coat was so powerful that regular people started delivering up to fatal, what they thought was fatal electric shocks just in the course of a regular experiment. That's how powerful authority is. And so that's also why employers need to recognize that they're the ones that grant this authority. And so they need to make objective judgments uh, about the people on their payroll. You think, uh, and now get into the law in the U.S. What was the one I was reading about? What is that? Do you know it off the top of your head here? I'm, I'm trying to think. Title, Title, Nine. Title Nine. What is Title Nine? So Title Nine is a specific um, law that applies to educational institutions. And it came up because Larry Nasser worked for Michigan State University. Mm. Title Nine protects um, women uh, in, in the educational context. For regular employers that aren't universities, they have a regular legal duty not to be negligent about the way they hire people and retain people. And that means if they know something bad is happening, they need to respond reasonably and with care and diligence and not just stick their head in the sand. And what what does that mean? Because what's playing out here, if we go back to the Me Too movement, is we've got a lot, well, right now it's it's hitting politicians, but we've got political parties in this country going on third-hand accounts and 
either suspending politicians, um, outright removing them from caucus, from decision-making. And so I, I'm just wondering, is that is it fairly vague then when it comes to what an employer should do and where's the information coming to before they respond on how they should be act towards that employee who is the accused? Well, so when it comes to sexual harassment in the workplace, that's uh, broader laws mm. that protect people against discrimination, but it is sort of the same general principle, which is um, if you know about someone or you should know about someone harassing somebody else, um, you do have a duty to protect your employees from harassment. Um, so employers have a lot of latitude to make judgments about what's reasonable to protect someone from harassment. Um, and so in the United States, they tend to engage in reasonably thorough investigations and then at the end of the day, looking at all of the evidence together and making a determination about what to do. Yeah, and it's one thing to be able to investigate something within a, a company. It's another thing when social media plays in this and suddenly that company's name is also out there. Do you think that complicates things, Elizabeth? I think it provides a level of accountability that we haven't seen just from legal rules. Because mm -hmm. the legal rules provide a lot of flexibility, the court of, of public opinion is more about what seems fair, what seems right in that situation. And I don't think it's unhealthy for employers to have to think when they're making a decision, is this fair? Am I doing right by the people involved? If we find out about this later, if the public finds out, will I be able to defend the decision I made? I think that's pretty healthy, actually. Yeah, that's healthy. I guess what I mean is sometimes people are using social media to accuse someone before someone has even had a chance to have that accusation investigated. And maybe in the end, the investigation proves that there was no merit to it and that person's career is ruined. I'm, I'm, I, I try to look at both the accuser and the accused. I think it's really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and also, sometimes you have to see the use of social media as a symptom that the particular person doesn't trust mm -hmm. the system the employer has available. And so that may be a sign that the employer needs to redouble their efforts to make sure their system is trusted by everybody who participates in it. Yeah, I'm glad you took a big breath on that because I would agree it's very complicated. Elizabeth, let's take a break here. Elizabeth Tippett, Associate Professor, School of Law, University of Oregon. I want to get into more details, though, what employers should ensure that they've got in place to make sure that their employees are safe, what to do the, in, in the event of an ac accusations against another employee. Elizabeth Tippett is an Associate Professor, School of Law, University of Oregon. We're back after this. Larry Nasser, of course, the disgraced medical doctor in the States who today received, well, 40 to 125 years in prison. He's not going anywhere for a long time. And that's, of course, the pain and abuse that he inflicted on so many young gymnasts over a long period of time. My guest, Elizabeth Tippett, Associate Professor, School of Law, University of Oregon. Actually, Elizabeth, I've had a few textures say, interesting that a, uh, an associate professor in law is even recognizing how some people are going to to social media because they question the court system. So that that's kind of a scary reality, isn't it, Elizabeth? Well, I think they're also questioning um, their employer system for handling complaints because very few cases ever actually end up in court. So really most justice is actually delivered internally at your company when they decide how to respond um, to a complaint that you make. 
And even when we're talking about um, Nasser and uh, Sandusky, um, a lot of people would say, well, that's abusing children. This is different than when you're talking about uh, a workplace environment, but it's not because their employer were uh, universities, were USA Gymnastics. So they are an employer that they probably, whoever reported what Larry Nasser was doing or what Jerry Sandusky was doing, ultimately an employer looked the other way. Right. It all links into the same process that the employer has for handling complaints about employees and how they investigate it and how they train employees about what to do when they hear a complaint from someone. If an employer, and I guess it depends on the size of the company and everything else, but um, your advice to any employer who is listening, first of all, if they are to receive a complaint of whether it be sexual harassment, harassment, uh, I mean, obviously it's a, a broad spectrum, but what should they do with that information? Sure. Well, I think the one thing that everybody kept missing in the Larry Nazar case and the Sandusky case was if what you're hearing sounds criminal, just call the police straight away. Like, use your regular common sense. Mm. If this is a regular common sense situation, you're like, wow, this sounds criminal, just call the police. Okay, if it's a regular workplace-type situation involving harassment or discrimination or a, a regular dispute, you want people to use the process that the company has for dealing with mm. complaints. So usually that's uh, human resources. Um, and... Or you could report it to your boss because supervisors are often trained that they're supposed to report to human resources and document information. So uh, the number one duty is to make sure the information doesn't get dropped and that you treat it with care. So if, if someone takes the trouble of complaining to you, that information is precious. So make sure it doesn't get lost in the organization. And I'm glad you said, you know, human resources go through the policy. So that's probably the biggest thing is that your company better have that policy in place. And I and I would think over the years we've had a lot when it comes to harassment, uh, discrimination, uh, sexual harassment. I think, though, we're almost elevated now when we're getting uh, complaints from things that go back 10, 15 years, too. So it, it does get a little more complicated. I, I want you to go back, though. If it sounds criminal in nature, then you make sure you contact the police as quickly as possible. Do you think some employers, when it sounds criminal in nature, they worry about the overall reputation of the company? And back to my comment earlier about possibly looking the other way or hoping that the victim who's coming forward is taking it to the police. I think it goes back to our human tendency to under-recognize emergencies. Mm. So in the social science context, they've done studies where they fill the room with smoke and then they have other people pretending to be part of the experiment that are actually trained to sit there and do nothing when the smoke comes in. If you're part of the study and you see other people sitting around when smoke is coming in the room, odds are you're going to stay sitting down too. And so part of it is reminding people not to get sucked into the assumption that an emergency can't happen here or just because other people aren't treating it like an emergency doesn't mean you shouldn't treat it like an emergency. You should use your own best judgment and think if this was in your regular everyday life and you were the only person that saw this, would this be an emergency? And if the answer is yes, you treat it like an emergency. The idea, as you say, just second-guessing your own conclusions or what you think is right or wrong. 
Yeah, and it, it's just so easy to do that in our regular human situation. And, I, you know, I do, I, I think that uh, it is too easy to think first about what would be the consequences to the institution's reputation. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, you have to think about how would you be judged if this information was public. And you should assume it will go public. And so what is the story you will tell about the decision you made? It's a tough one. I mean, uh, if if nothing else, the Larry Nassers, all those stories and the ones that are breaking here in Canada as well, gives companies pause to say, all right, what happens if next week we are dealt with this, whether an employee comes forward about another employee in our company? Do we have the right practices in place? I do think it's all about preparation. And so much when you go back and look at the Larry Nasser story and the Sandusky story, it was about institutions that weren't prepared for these sorts of emergencies and how they would respond. And I think we should all assume that every company, every employer is vulnerable to something bad happening and to think hard in advance what kind of policies and procedures and practices and training do we want to have to respond the way that we want if this happens to us. I almost wonder, and especially when you say institutions, when you talk about Nasser or Sandusky, if that ultimately is a problem as well, because they're large institutions, whether we're talking about universities or USA Gymnastics, and they're large institutions, large bureaucracies, where maybe people are good at passing the buck and hoping someone else is going to deal with it. Again, it's a human tendency to think that someone else will handle it. And so you have to remember that that person might be you. Yeah. Elizabeth, um, I'm glad to have the conversation with you. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Angela. Elizabeth Tippett, Associate Professor, School of Law at the University of Oregon. Yeah, we've got so many things that have been happening in the last month or so. And when it comes to whether it's the Me Too movement or what's been happening with Larry Nasser, you wonder if the victims when they came forward, were heard. And obviously, in the Nasser case, they weren't because it was allowed to go on for so long. But also that whole idea of a person in a position of authority, where if you thought what he was doing to you, what, is this right? Well, he's this renowned doctor. Uh, he works with all these top athletes. I guess it's okay. So then how screwed up you are. Pretty crazy, but um, the bigger picture is making sure that employers react the right way, have the right policies in place in order to make sure they're responding correctly. 403-974-8255. After the news, we want to talk about the crazy day on Saturday on Deerfoot Trail, and I'd love to hear from you if you were on it at the time. And my producer, she thinks that she was almost one of the last vehicles that was on Deerfoot before they said, we're closing this road. We're back after this.